My understanding is that the bald eagle was largely gone from Indiana in the 1890s, and I guess that was through hunting and loss of habitat. Is that correct? Uh, loss of habitat was the primary condition back at that time, and then, of course, uh, early pioneer periods, uh, everything that would eat one of their domestic animals was considered to be a threat, so quite often uh, the early pioneers looked upon any predator as a problem. So the bear, the wolf, the mountain lion, and the eagle, and other animals were uh, removed from the wild environment in order to preserve their domestic animals. Uh, in Indiana, the last successful eagle nest was in 1897, with the draining of many of our native wetlands. Since the eagle was primarily a fish-eating bird, that was a major impact on uh, the population here. Much later, did the DT issue influence Indiana eagles Right, Right during the period of time when we began to develop insecticides, especially uh, DDT and, and some of the others that were uh, widely used to control uh, mosquitoes and other pests, those had a very bad effect on all the top predators, and eagles particularly uh, being at the top of their food chain in that uh, the chemicals would run into the water, the smaller fish would get a small concentration, the larger fish would eat them, and the larger fish were eaten by the eagles. And uh, as the concentration got larger in those birds, their success in nesting was dramatically impacted, and also the success in nesting of songbirds and many other bird species. Now, there, there weren't any nest sites in Indiana until the 1980s, is that correct? Actually, the 1990s. Um, 1897 was our last wild nest. Uh, we had eagles that were migrating through the area and would reside in the area but not nest in the area. Uh, and this is the whole state of Indiana. Uh, so we would see them here during the spring and fall migrations. We'd occasionally get immature birds or unmated adults that would be around the state, but we had no active nesting until after the reintroduction period. We began our bald eagle reintroduction with the uh, passage of a bill that uh, allowed the non-game fund to be uh, a checkoff and a donation site for Indiana State taxpayers and people that wanted to donate to it. And it was a designated fund, a fund that could only be spent for non-game reintroductions and for other non-game activity. Uh, the funding uh, was significant enough in 84 that we began looking at our first project uh, in 85, we began that first project, which was the reintroduction of bald eagles. Now, were you involved in that original program? We were lucky enough to be on the site that they decided to do the reintroduction at. Uh, in the fall of 84, uh, leading into 85, our nine-game biologist, Chris Iverson, was doing a survey of the state and looking for the best place to begin that reintroduction effort. Every January for many years, as part of a national count, we would do a bald eagle census. Uh, here in Indiana, uh, Monroe Lake had had some of the higher counts of those periods of times. And when uh, Chris came to look at our property, we had three or four eagles on the property, which was the highest count in the state on that day. So he decided that uh, this would be the good place to try and reintroduce them since they were already using the area. How did you uh, reintroduce the eagle to the Monroe area? Well, we identified location that would be the best place to create what we call a hacking tower. 
The hacking tower is a term that we've borrowed from the Falconers. Basically what that means is that uh, we have a platform, a structure that's designed to allow birds that have been in captivity to be reintroduced to the wild. Uh, in order to do that so we'd have the highest success rate with the birds staying in the area, we would get young birds from a wild nest, birds that had been raised uh, by their parents. And these came from Wisconsin initially, and their population of wild eagles was high enough that we would look for nests that had three chicks. And uh, with three young eaglets in a nest, that's a challenge for the parents to sometimes provide enough food for them. And so we would identify those three bird nests and then go into those and either take the largest bird or the smallest bird so that the other two left behind would be close to the same size and age and have the best chance of survival. Uh, eagles lay their eggs progressively. So they'll lay an egg today and a little later they'll lay another egg and a little bit later they'll lay another egg. So the oldest eaglet would be the largest eaglet in most cases and the youngest eaglet would have the least chance if there was a, a challenge for food. So by either taking the largest or the smallest, we would be able to give the other two a better chance of survival. When you brought them to Indiana, did you intentionally try to avoid human interaction, or did you...? No, we tried to keep the interaction with them as minimal as possible. Uh, from the eaglet's standpoint, they were exposed to people when a person climbed into the nest and removed them from the nest. Then they were transported immediately to Indiana, to Monroe, and they were exposed to people when we were taking them out of their captive cage and putting them into the hacking tower. We had one-way glass on the back side of it. Uh, they would hear noise behind the nest. Uh, all of a sudden, fish, their favorite thing to eat, would fall into the nest site from uh, behind them, and uh, they never saw people feed them. We put three birds to a, a nest area so we could raise 12 birds at one time, and that would give us the opportunity to release them as they became ready for release at roughly 11 to 12 weeks of age. We would go in at night while they were calm, and uh, they would be banded when we first got them with a federal and a state band. Then on the night before their release, we would wing tag them with an orange uh, like a, a coat sleeve that would go over their wing with a black letter that would uh, distinguish which bird they were, and that would be on both wings. And then we'd also set them uh, on a primary tail feather with a radio transmitter and a unique frequency so that once they left the site, we could track them uh, with that radio frequency. Uh, at that point, then, we would put them back into the cage and then early the next morning open the cage door before daylight so that they could then fly out whenever they were ready. Uh, we would then support them by providing food on feeding structures and platforms around the hack tower and in the nests in case they wanted to come back into it. Uh, it was very rare that they would go back into the cage, but the whole point of the operation was to let them learn to fly here in Indiana. And where they first learned to fly is where they imprint on as their home base. Uh, five years later, when they become sexually mature and ready to re-nest, uh, those eaglets tend to come back between 50 and 100 miles of where they first learned to fly. So it was our hope that our birds would uh, then return to Indiana to be nesting eagles in Indiana. Roughly how many uh, eagles are there now in Indiana? 
Well, our first active nest that was successful was in 1991. Right now we're pushing over 300 nest sites scattered throughout the state of Indiana. It sounds like the situation is very good at the moment, and thank you very much for a uh, very enlightening talk. You're welcome, and we have a, a non-game fund that's still active, and uh, donations are readily needed. How does one make a donation to that? On your state tax form in April, there's a place where you can make a direct donation of refunds that you get back into that fund, or you can make a direct donation to the non-game fund at any of our properties or mailing it into the Division of Fish and Wildlife. Today I've been speaking with Rex Waters. He's the Reservoir Wildlife Specialist for Monroe Reservoir and a specialist on eagle population and reintroduction.